Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar or t-shirts or hats and coffee mugs that are branded with my stuff at westminstereffects.com. You can join in the discussion, the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm and make sure you subscribe and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Help us beat the algorithm with violence. We are encouraging violence on the algorithm. And also remember, you can win a pedal by sharing this show on Facebook. Just share the post. I'm joined in person by... Hey, everybody. It's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And we are not joined by our admiral in the great Navy of the state of Nebraska, John Ross. Unfortunately, uh, all that good stuff with work and stuff, you know, you know how it goes. Uh, So main topic this week, uh, we got a question from Matthew Winter. And last week, the main topic was from Matt Paragoy. So I guess if your name is Matt, you just have an advantage, at least this month. Uh, But really... Matthew's question boiled down to, well, who's a Christian? What is a Christian? Uh, what does, I guess you could say, what are the, what's the lowest common denominator, uh, if we can even use that kind of language and stuff like that? Uh, so, pastor, <laughs> yeah. where do we go from here? Well, you know, I've said so many times before that I think um, the journey of a Christian is um, becoming saved and then a lifetime of discovery of what that means. Yeah. That I have been saved. It's um, it's it's similar to uh, we've had the discussion before of of baptism, where a lot of parents put that off a little bit too long with their kids and say, you know, they don't understand what's going on. Well. You never completely understand what's going on, even years later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it, it, it. I, I keep bringing this up in different settings. It seems like lately, but you know, the line from the Matrix uh, where Morpheus looks at Neo and says, "I'm going to show you how deep the rabbit you, hole goes." You just brought up this I, line. Yeah, I just did a Bible study and I brought this up, but I just been stewing on it. And and yeah. you know, when it comes to salvation, um, and and to ask a question like that, who is a Christian? What is a Christian? Um, you you can dive into the New Testament and see just how deep that rabbit hole goes. Mm-hmm. It it's it's deeper than we think. It's richer than we think. And we, um, even if even a person who is saved genuinely might start with a very shallow understanding of what that means. Yeah. Um. There's we often want to go to the lowest common denominator, deathbed conversion, or someone mm-hmm. gets hit. I, I think there's like a God's not dead scene where somebody gets hit by a car and mm-hmm. is about to kick the bucket and you know gets mm-hmm. saved on the spot. Um. So there's a balance between you know that, um. You know what's the very bare bones that I have to understand or whatever, and then there's the how deep the rabbit hole goes and and there's a line that uh i heard doug wilson say one time that i really appreciated is we're not saved by our works 
and that includes my doctrinal works. Yeah, exactly. So my my <laughs> grasping very well said and and understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity does not contribute to my salvation. Exactly. That comes out of your salvation, right? Very good. I totally agree with Doug Wilson on that. Um, and because I mean that's just experientially true. I mean, some I, growing up in the church. When, when this kind of question was raised, the answer that was often given was, you know, the, the famous verse that if, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Yep. Right? So that, that was sort of presented to me in, in the, uh, within the, the neat little package of if you accept Jesus into your heart and ask mm-hmm. him to be your Lord and Savior. Yeah. Then you are a Christian, and it might it might go down that way. Um, but as Piper would say, I don't think we tend to fill up the word "believe" with all that Scripture intends. Uh, we you know we believe it might rain today. Um, that that's not the same level of belief that we would equate with salvation and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. What has happened that has caused me to believe is is where we would we would have to begin. I think, to search the scriptures to try to understand what all that means. Yeah, you know, something just kind of clicked with me, and I've had this thought for a while of the whole, you don't make Jesus Lord. Exactly. Right? He just is. But <laughs> but even that verse that you referenced, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you're not making him Lord of your life. He already is. You're yeah. just recognizing it. You're confessing it. it. Exactly. Yeah. So the question would then be, what leads to that kind of belief and that kind of confession? Well, there's, a, I think if we're going to answer this question, we best go to the scriptures. Uh, Probably and not just a good get idea. Somebody's opinion on it. Um, one passage we might go to, First uh, Peter chapter one, beginning in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is obviously written to Christians. Mm-hmm. And Peter is lauding, he's celebrating um, what's happened. Right. What's happened to us that we would call ourselves Christians? Well, God, our Father, has caused us to be born again. Something is totally new, something has totally changed, something's been regenerated. That's what that's what you have to conclude from born again language. And there is a living hope. It's not just punching your heaven card. No. You know, you're okay for the rest of your life. Just don't do anything too dumb. Just make sure you get to heaven when you die. It's ongoing. Yeah. And so we might ask some questions about what all does it mean to be born again? Well, Peter doesn't answer that here fully. What he does say is that this new birth has it has moved us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we could say two things there about being a Christian. One is, I've been born again, mm-hmm. whatever that means to a living hope, and I'm being guarded, if I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm one who's being guarded by faith 
yep. for this salvation, this inheritance ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he goes on to talk about rejoicing and suffering. Um, and then verse 8, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So three things I would say about being a Christian from this text. I've been born again, one who's been born again to a living hope, uh, one who's being guarded by God's power through faith. So my believing is a means by which God is guarding my soul for salvation ready to be revealed. And then three, I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I rejoice with joy. I have great delight in him. So those are three attributes, if you will, characteristics of being a Christian. And, and all get. three of these are because he has caused it. He has caused in, it. In verse three. Is yes. that verse three or four? That's three. Yep. Um, it's it, it, even the loving. Even the loving. The, you're not saved by having a relationship with Jesus. You already have one. Romans 1 says it's trash right now yep. until he causes you to be born again. Um, are you familiar with the uh, Fighting for the Faith YouTube channel at all? No. It's a, it's a discernment uh, blog okay. uh, of sorts. It's a Lutheran minister. He's one of, the, one of the more sound discernment guys out there where he doesn't just trash people for the sake of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he plays sermons from that aren't sound and then says, okay, what does the Bible say? Or what does this verse say in context? Stuff like Got that. You. And he, he, he is pretty sarcastic because there's some of that. <laughs> if you don't laugh, you'll cry kind yep, of stuff. Yep. So he does a, uh, an annual worst Easter sermon contest. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> and, hilarious. And people send him stuff. Okay. And so I don't remember what pastor it was, but it was a pretty, pretty well-known pastor who had an entire Easter sermon of, uh, he got he got certain things right of you know it's not all about you know your works what you do what Jesus wants to know is do you love me mm. which is also law yeah yeah <laughs> because the law says <coughs> you have to love God right so that's obedience to the law which you can't do in the first place unless he's caused you to be born again right and you know, you do have Jesus in Revelation writing to the church at Ephesus and saying, you know, I know your works. I know your toll. I know that you don't put up with false doctrine and false teachers, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had for me at first. Yep. Repent. Go back and do those first things. You know, I think we could spend some time there. You know, Jesus is calling that church to lean in for greater affection for him not just checking all the boxes and following the rules Mm -hmm. but we do from the whole of scripture have to conclude that this loving god you know we just looked at the parable the prodigal i'm not the prodigal but the parable of the good samaritan um this past sunday at res and one of the things that became clear is the the lawyer who comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. And we just talked about this again in the Bible study we just did. That's a recurring that's, themes this yeah, week. That's a dumb question because what has anybody ever done to inherit anything? Right. And here, Peter, First Peter chapter one, he's talking about an inheritance that we did not gain because of any work we did, but because. God did a work and caused us to be born again. Right. 
into his kingdom, into his family, and therefore there's an inheritance for us. So the Good Samaritan, I think, often gets misused or misinterpreted because Jesus asks him, what does the law say? How do you read it? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Go and do likewise. But you put yourself in that lawyer's shoes. You have to sort of take your own pulse and go, wait, 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 wait a minute. If I don't love God, how do I start to love God? Mm-hmm. I think any person, even if you're not a church or a Bible person, it doesn't take much self-assessment to realize that you cannot manipulate yourself into affection, right? You yeah. can't just decide, I'm going to love God. And, and this is where I would might would go to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But thanks be to God, who in his, according to his mercy, he has made us alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this awakening that's happened is not just a, oh, I've turned over a new leaf. Oh, I've realized something that's good and better than what I had before. No, it's a it's a death to life kind of thing. For you to love God and have glad-hearted affection for him means that your soul, something has happened in your soul that is the equivalent of you were dead, now you're alive. Mm-hmm. So we have effectively the creation of a Christian. God causes us to be born again mm-hmm. to a living hope, to an inheritance. Uh, we we <laughs> were initially children of wrath, and then God did something, and that causes us to have faith in Jesus and to actually love him, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what beyond that... Uh, so we, you know, we alluded to the deathbed conversion kind of thing. So let's, let's go to maybe someone who grows up in church or gets saved a little later in life, but then has years down the road. Uh, I think maybe the, the things, the best way to say it is what must they not deny, (laughs) right? Because it's, um, James White will talk about how many, uh, American Christians are kind of modalist by default, because mm-hmm. they haven't been taught properly. But then when they're taught properly, it's, oh, yeah, that makes perfect. That makes so much more sense and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so those those first order doctrines that really should be affirmed, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, they're not uh, secondary or opinion. It's this is Christianity. This is talking about who God is and how we're saved. And if you deny these, we're getting into some pretty murky water pretty dangerous territory kind of thing Hmm. yeah i mean it's hard for me to narrow down which ones but i think i think you got to get justification Mm -hmm. i think you know it because we're 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 saved unto sanctification yes right so like it it's not just check the Jesus box and I go to heaven when I die. No, I'm mm-hmm. I'm being I have been set apart and I am continually being set apart because Paul would say in Ephesians he chose us in him to be holy and blameless, right? Mm-hmm. So we are holy and blameless because we are justified, but we're continually being conformed into the image of Christ. That's Romans 8. So that's happening all the time, but if you don't get justification right? Yeah. Yep. You're not going to be able to lean into the sanctifying work that the Lord is doing as well, I don't think. Because if I don't get I'm justified by grace through faith, mm-hmm. then 
it's it's going to be difficult for me to my, conclude that while I I I might be saved because of what Jesus did, it's that I'm going to stay saved because of what I do. Right. And that I'm going to become more like Christ because of my own self-discipline. Um here I hear the words of Paul again. Uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you to will and do mm-hmm. according to his good pleasure. So I think we have to get justification right. It is by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone. And then I think we have to get that we're saved unto sanctification, that this is not um, just a a New Year's resolution we've undertaken or a behavioral modification seminar that we've attended, that we actually are different people. Mm-hmm. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. That that this is about things being made new, not just a internal life insurance policy that we've gained. <laughs> Everything is made new, and we are living a different kind of life. When God showed up to Moses in the form of a burning bush, right? The <clears throat> first thing he says to Moses, take off your shoes. Mm-hmm. This is holy ground. Five seconds before God set that bush on fire, that was normal dirt around that bush. But the minute God showed up and set that bush on fire, it's not normal dirt anymore. You know, Christians are not normal. Christians are not normal dirt anymore. We're not normal human beings. Mm -hmm. We have been, A, regenerated by the Spirit of God, right, because of the blood of Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of his righteousness being imputed to us, the Spirit of God, the whole, God the Holy Spirit, has rebirthed us, has renewed us, and we are filled permanently and dwelt with him, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Those are massive thoughts and realities that the Bible declares about our salvation. So yeah. we're not normal. We've been set apart to God. We've been saved to, we've been saved from his wrath mm-hmm. and saved to intimate fellowship, being a part of his kingdom. We were once not a people, now we are a people. We are part of the body of Christ. We are the true Israel. <clears throat> it, it, it just, there, the reality of our salvation is something that um, I don't think I've fully wrapped my head around. Yeah. And what's fun about this is, you know, you, it's you started with the assumption of like the Apostles' Creed, all of that being in place already, right? Mm-hmm. And then going from there to all right, this is <laughs> this is also core, right? Mm-hmm. I think my approach would have been well, you got to get the doctrine of God right, right? Oh, uh, sure, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, and, and so when you have the Trinity properly defined, you have the covenant of redemption, which then leads to justification by faith absolutely true. right that, that's, that's totally right and that, you know just two different minds coming at it you know on the spot and i may not prepare. have fully understood your question right. and that's but okay that's okay you're absolutely right who is god and and that's absolutely essential to know and understand and, um, and you see so often whenever there's egregious theological error you know we've we've criticized the new apostolic reformation and groups like that um it starts with a misunderstanding of who God is. Exactly. And then even even with things that we would criticize like Arminianism, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, maybe it's not heretical, but mm-hmm. there's something erroneous going on with the doctrine of God, with the Trinity, 
with the covenant of redemption. Mm. I, yes, yes. And I think, you know, it, it, it's worth pointing out here. Um, I think Catholics can be saved. Oh, I yeah. think it's really oh, yeah. hard. But the reason I think they can be saved is because I think they have the right doc, the right God. Right. Mormons cannot be saved. Yes. Muslims cannot be saved because mm-hmm. they have the wrong God. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's so Witnesses have the wrong God. And it doesn't matter whether or not they acknowledge Christ in some level or not. Their their understanding. I mean, you know, my pastor Brian Alkin has told me many times that you know um, Jehovah's Witnesses knock on the door and and um, they find out he's a Christian and he's a pastor, and and they might say something to the effect, "Oh, you believe in the, the Trinity," mm-hmm. and he'll say, "Well, tell me what you mean by that," and they'll they'll start talking and then he'll go, "Oh no, I don't believe that. That's crazy." Yeah, you know, because they don't they have the wrong God. Right. They have the wrong understanding of God, and therefore they're not saved. They can't be saved until mm-hmm. that changes. And so, yes, I, I, I fully agree. The doctrine of God is essential. Yeah, and you know, you, you see so much of, of the essentials and stuff like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, the Chalcedonian definition, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Athanasian Creed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Athanasian Creed, man, like just sit down and read that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. I love that. And I it, absolutely love it, that. And it and it really fleshes out and makes the Trinity more graspable. Mm-hmm. If if that's a word, I don't know yeah. if that's a word. <laughs> but but it but, works. Yeah, but but the the way it, it goes about it is, you know, this is the role of the Father, this is the role of the Son, and this is the role of the Spirit in redemption, mm-hmm. and and this is how we relate to each of them. But it's one God. Yes. Yes. And that's and that's so much more helpful than, you know, God is like water. Mm. <laughs> well, that's heresy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's modalism, yeah. Patrick. It's modalism. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So I I I don't know, man. I I I I loathe the the older I get the more the more I dive into the scriptures the more I loathe the revivalist culture yes the, the you know that really I I don't know I guess it started with the likes of Charles Finney and and continued on with mm-hmm. Billy Graham as as much good as Billy Graham may have done I just think that the modern notions about what it means to be a Christian and become a Christian and how that happens and what how we think about that. The methods have dumbed it down so much that I I, I struggle, you know. I struggle every time I and, and I'm just being honest with you, every time I see a church post something on social media that's a, it's a number it's like four or ten or twelve and it's like uh, two and a half <laughs> two and a half you know these people converted during our worship service and i'm just like you know i just want to be so careful about that um because i think we've 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 tr- salvation is easy but it's not it's not simple yeah Right. No, absolutely. And and I think I think it takes sometimes it takes time. It's not that we don't there isn't like a I think there's a crisis moment. There's a moment in everybody's life that is a Christian at which the new birth happened in time. Right? There there's mm-hmm. a moment there there's right. a, there's a you could put two seconds back to back. And in this second I was not saved and then the the following second I was. I think that happens. For everybody, yeah. How it happens, and 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 what what leads up to that, 
right is is a is a whole different story for everybody and i think we 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 risk you know, I, tim keller said this too i've been quoting him a lot today not on this <laughs> podcast but he said this too don't despise the pace of god in someone else's life um mm-hmm. because i think that there are some people that there's a long string of dominoes that God has lined up. It might even be with my children that I'm the, I'm the first series of dominoes in their life that leads to their conversion and their new birth. But it might be somebody way down the road that yeah. I, I don't even know. I think both my children are saved at this point. But if I was unsure about that, I could rest and confidently know that God has other people and other places and other situations and circumstances lined up that are going to ultimately be a means of grace for them by which he converts them. He causes them to be born again to a living hope. Yes. So I just think you got to be careful with um, the, the what, what's the word? The nostalgic, um, overly simplistic ways in which we talk about conversion mm-hmm. and, 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 a moment in time where someone goes from death to life. Like <clears throat> I want to be really careful making that about they checked a box on a connect card. They raised a hand during a prayer. They raised a hand yeah. during a prayer. They repeated this thing. Even if they participated in a spontaneous baptism service. Mm-hmm. I just want to be really careful. It's not that I'm looking to withhold assurance from people. Right. But I'm at this point in my life and ministry, I'm taking more of what I see Peter's approach was in Acts 2. Here's the truth. Yeah. (laughs) And now I'm going back in the upper room for some more. No way, Peter. What must we do to be saved? Right. Which honestly, I think is a more biblical approach in the first place because you don't see things like altar calls in the Bible. It's not there. It it didn't happen. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. It didn't happen until Charles Finney, and he was a heretic. Yeah, he he denied justification by faith. Yeah, which is the first thing we started talking about. Yeah, it's it it's it it's really like I I I feel a I feel a what I I think is a sanctified sense of anger and frustration at the the revivalist movement. Yeah, um, I really do because I I feel like it's it's been it's been more of a hindrance. I'm not saying that people haven't been genuinely saved right. at Billy Graham meetings. I think there have been. I think God's used it, but I think it all in all, it's been a net. Well, I, I honestly think we're starting to see it run its course. I do too. Where, where along with the attractional model, church. right? And I was going to go there too. Is is the attractional model is really just the technologically advanced end game mm. of revivalism yeah and now that we've had the rona come through and Mm. all of all of those churches went online for way too long Mm. and treated it like that was actually church yep (laughs) and all of that kind of stuff and people just aren't going back and we get we get people all the time who've spent significant amounts of time in those kinds of churches Mm. and they realize it's empty it is empty. When, when you treat the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day as an evangelistic event, we're going to assume everybody is at a baseline of not being saved effectively. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and get you saved after a TED Talk. There's just nothing there, mm. right? So, so just throw out the truth, and whoever comes, awesome. You know, it, it's funny. Um, I think the seeker-sensitive movement – 
has had an the the opposite effect that it intended to have. We yes, it, it, absolutely. In, in, in in every effort that the movement has made to be attractive, relevant, and appealing to quote unquote seekers, unsaved people, I think they've turned. They're they're really starting to turn them off. Yep. Last week, I got a last minute call on Wednesday to go speak at the college that I attended the next day, Thursday morning for their convocation because the speaker they had booked got the Rona and bailed on them at the mm. last minute. So the campus pastor called me and said, cause he knows I'm an hour and a half away. And he said, is there any way you could come and speak at convocation tomorrow morning? And I was like, sure, I'll come. So I, I went and I spoke on Luke six, the blessings and woes from Jesus. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and but you know I stood up and I said because here's, yes. a, here's a college campus setting where there it's a Christian college yeah. but there are I mean there's probably 11 1200 people in the room uh, it's a small college but you know professors and students and people were there and there's a lot of athletes there a lot of people that have been recruited to play ball at Emmanuel College and are not Christians right and, and, and same thing when I was at North Greenville is, exactly, is, same is, kind of thing. Is, is I actually had a conversation with their former baseball coach when I was covering them, and mm -hmm. I was like, "So, do you, you know, tell them, you know, that they have to be a Christian or whatever?" He's like, "No, my job is to go get the best baseball players, and they know what they're getting into when they come here." Manuel takes the same approach, yep. and you know, I I stood up in that setting. You know, there's a lot of church kids there too. Um. But I stood up in that setting and I said, now listen, before we dive into this text, we need to understand something. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to people, granted, probably with some varied degree of devotion mm -hmm. at this point, but he is talking to people who look to him as their teacher. They're leaning into him. They recognize he has unique authority. And I said, so if you're not saved here, I said this. If you're not saved, if you don't believe in Jesus, that's it's it's okay for you to listen in. But just understand, Jesus is not talking to you. Yeah. And then I dove into the text. <laughs> After that service was over, I went to lunch with the director of music ministries with a student who is on the archery team and is actually a national champion in oh. archery. And with a recently graduated student who is now on staff at Emmanuel as the assistant golf coach. Okay. We're sitting at lunch, and we're talking about various things, and the, the assistant golf coach speaks up, and he said, I want to ask you something. And I said, shoot. He's like, and he, and he references my comment at the beginning. Mm -hmm. He said, I was sitting with the golf team. And he said, pretty much everybody on the golf team except one is an agnostic. Mm. And he said, I don't know how many of them there were, were there, five or six, I don't know. But he said, I've watched them chapel after chapel, convocation after convocation with speaker after speaker come in. And as soon as the speaker starts talking, they pick up their phones and stare at their phones the entire time because they have to be at convocation. Yeah. But they're not paying a lick of attention. But he said, when you made that statement, he said, three of them put their phone downs and paid attention to you the whole time. And yeah. he's like, I don't understand that. 
And and what that led to was it led to a conversation about the fact that I think we've gotten church wrong. Yep. I think we have concluded that the right thing to do is go in there and make it as fluffy and comfortable and inclusive as we can in order to attract unbelievers. When I think we just we ought to we ought to respect them enough. We ought to we ought to love them enough to be straight with them. Yeah. Yep. If you're not in Christ, these promises that we're living in are not for you. But you can listen in, and perhaps God would grant you repentance. <laughs> Love it. I think we ought to just be straight yeah. with them. I yeah. think we ought to be honest with them is that being a Christian, this is our question. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that God has done something in you that you cannot do for yourself, and that has that is the equivalent of raising you from death to life. Yeah. And that then awakens all these possibilities to a different kind of life, to be a part of a new creation, to be a part of his kingdom. And I think we best just be straight with unbelievers about what it means. It's a great question to ask, Matthew, because I think we've gotten it wrong. Yeah, I've, uh, and, and to add to your point, I've had a conversation with a uh, with an unbelieving family member. We'll just leave it at that. Um more recently with effectively that approach like this is what christianity says yep and and he said he appreciated my approach because so many others uh it feels like a sales pitch yeah i'm not trying to sell you something this is the truth and either you believe it or you don't right and i'll try to be persuasive but i'm not trying to get you to buy a (laughs) a 95 buick yeah (laughs) that's exactly right God forbid. God forbid you buy a 95 Buick. But I get behind a 95 Buick and I, I have to start praying. Yeah. That's <laughs> another thing we talked about this that's morning. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, good times. Let's go to the Inquisition. All right. We're short on time, so we're going to do two Inquisition questions. Brian Morris, as is tradition, we start with him, asks, if you could read only the Bible and the collected works of one theologian the rest of your life, who would it be? Golly, that's so hard. Right? Do, do the Puritans count as one theologian? <laughs> yeah, one theologian, right, right. Yeah, although, the, yeah, I don't know. Piper or Edwards, one of those, maybe. Yeah. Maybe Calvin. Yeah, uh, let's see. Because Calvin, Calvin wrote a lot. Uh, I don't think I'd go Spurgeon. No, but Cal- Calvin wrote a lot. But there's some things that Calvin, you know, like even, you know, even Martin Luther. Like if I if I only had one option, you know, I'm thinking about the things where I might part right. ways with Calvin a little bit, or Luther, and uh, I might lean more towards Zwingli. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm trying to think of someone who in, in kind of comes close yeah, to being, and this sounds bad, like, do I only want to read people that I agree with? No. Because <laughs> there's some things I don't agree with Piper on. And there's stuff that we disagree with, with Edward. I'm not Duncan. a premillennialist, and, P- yeah. and Piper is. Um, and so I don't know either. That's why I say either Jonathan Edwards or or 
Piper, right? Because you know, because even even Piper gets into like kind of the in terms of the law and the Christian life, he kind of gets into the new covenant theology kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the law of Christ, which which I disagree with. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I've heard ask Pastor Johns, where I was just like, oh, that yeah. that implication is kind of nasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's some some of that. Yeah, totally. but but the over <laughs> the overarching body of work is fantastic. Totally, and I, and I think that's why I would say if I only had one to read, but you know, I'm because of like desiring God. It, it it's it's really a toss up between Edwards and Piper because mm-hmm. I think of you know the Christian hedonist thing. Yes. even though Edwards didn't use that term. I think that to me would be essential and crucial. Yeah, I, and I think I might be inclined between those two. Maybe since uh, since we're not answering this in a vacuum, I'm gonna I'm gonna fudge the question how I want to. Okay. Uh, so I've already read a decent amount of Piper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't read a. Ton. I've read some Edwards. I haven't read a ton. So maybe I just spend the rest of my life studying Edwards. <laughs> you know, he was post mill. He was. Yeah. Uh, that in that um, evening of eschatology, that, that's right. That you uh, actually referenced to me yeah, uh, yeah. several years ago, uh, Wilson being the post mill guy when they were kind of giving. All right, here's baselines for why we believe it. And he said, "Well, one, Jonathan Edwards believed it. Two, it's fun." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know exactly that was so funny. And and you know there there are quite a few videos with Piper and Wilson out there. Yeah, and it's almost like. Wilson's dragging Piper into the post mill right, camp slowly right, but surely, right? Right, and and, and I, that's what I appreciate about their friendship is, I do is they've disagreed publicly and stuff like that. But you also have the cooperation between uh, who's the president of uh, Bethlehem uh, College? I can't remember. Is it, his is name. it Rigney? Yeah, that's um, right. So there's cooperation between him and Merkel at New St Andrews, uh, and and if and if you want to feel like you want to. Like just get jacked up and run through a brick wall. Go watch some of New St. Andrews YouTube videos because their marketing is just incredible. Hmm. Oh my goodness! Like I would never want to go back to college again, but it almost wow. makes me want to. <laughs> One more question, and this is sarcastically worded from Phil Moses. He says, "I asked one a really long time ago that you said you were basically going to do a whole episode on, and now I can't remember it. But I know you haven't answered it, and it's got me really hurt and offended. And I know you didn't mean to, but I just needed you to know that there are people out there who thought they were going, they were doing a good thing, but you just kick them when they're down." <coughs> Hashtag run on sentence. It's <laughs> hilarious. But but it kind of reminded me of. How do you deal with people who get butt hurt when they don't address when you don't address their hobby horses? I I've never had a hobby horse in my life, so I don't. I'm, I'm totally kidding. Uh, but you know, people have things in the church that uh, they they want you to talk about, Dad Gummit. Yeah. Uh, whether it's how we think politically, or how we think about the government with Rona shutdowns, or how we think about this natural disaster, mm-hmm. it's like just go down the list of current events, and people want want you to th- talk about one of them some at some point during a given month say yeah well that's a tough one because i i I can tell you from experience there have been people that have been really offended with me because i did not share their concern right and that in and of itself 
is problematic because then I have to have a, a reason or a justification for why I'm not overly concerned about that. And that may or may not make sense to them. And then there are others where I have really good reason why I'm not addressing it. Even, and, and, and I can still demonstrate concern about it because I, I, I can demonstrate mm-hmm. I have thought through it and I care about it. You know, there are just some things that don't, they don't tr- trip my urgency uh, for whatever reason. And that might be mm-hmm. a sin issue on my part. You know, w- right. one of the things that we're talking about in this class I'm taking, there's an elder training class that the elders at Res are going through right now. And this semester is on the ministry of prayer. And one of the things we realized of the 12 words used for prayer in the New Testament, there's varied degrees of urgency and intensity with all those words. Mm-hmm. And a question was raised last night. What determines that urgency? Yep. And baseline, pragmatically speaking, what determines my urgency in prayer is the magnitude of the need or the magnitude of my concern, sometimes mm, yeah, both. Yeah. I, we all know what it's like to meet people who are really, really concerned and passionate about a particular thing that we, mm-hmm. would, we would acknowledge is a serious issue, mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is we just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, no, I, I have totally been in that boat recently. Oh, and I have too. Yeah. I have too. It's not, it's not that I'm saying I don't. That, that someone shouldn't care about that. Right. But the fact is, I don't. And that might be a sin issue on my part. And so I think you have to be careful if someone is offended. And maybe the first thing is, oh, Lord, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in mm-hmm. me, because mm-hmm. this might be something I should be concerned about, and I'm not. Uh, if, if I am not concerned about it, and it's not something the Lord wants me to get overly intense about, then... I think you get you just gotta you gotta hope that if especially if it's pe- people you're in relationship with that you have enough track record with them of trust that they they they're willing to have a hard conversation uh, that's honest and just say you know I'm sorry but I I'm just not I don't feel like that's something that the whole church needs to be troubled with. Yep, <laughs> and yeah. it's therefore not something I'm going to address from the pulpit. And and, and there's. Like and I've witnessed you in varying degrees, you know. Like since I don't mean to eavesdrop, <laughs> but when I'm packing up my guitar gear, yeah, yeah, and yeah. somebody wants prayer or wants to throw down <laughs> yeah. or something, uh, but there was there was one time uh, you were talking to somebody and, and they had some kind of issue, um, and I had I had just gotten done counting the, mm-hmm. the offering, and I come in to put the keys up, <laughs> and I just hear you say. Well, you don't believe the Bible, and I was just like, "I'm out of here." <laughs> <laughs> <See y'all later. laughs> it's like, "Oh no, what's happening?" Right and you know, the funny thing: the older I get, the more comfortable I am with that kind of right talk. Like, I, I it's true. Like, you, you do, you do lose some filter, and some of that's good because I think I, I'm just less and less um, focused on. Other people's affirmation of me. Right. The older I get, and the more I think I grow in my relationship with the Lord, the less concerned I am about what people think about me. It's not that I'm not concerned. Right. I am. I like when I get invited, and, to, and we and there there should be some kind of concern. Absolutely. It's just where you place the priority. Exactly. Um, and so the less I'm concerned about what people think about me, the more you know. Jesus just seemed to be really comfortable 
with giving people hard truths in a loving, compassionate way. Yeah. And being okay if they didn't accept it. Mm-hmm. He let people walk away. Yeah. Um, and I think we have to be willing to do that. And there were even times when, like, almost everybody bailed. <coughs> yep. And he was okay with it. He and, was. And he even turned to his closest and said, y'all going to go too? And their response was not that great. Well, where else are we going to go? <laughs> it's it's you or bus. So here we are. Yeah, I guess we're here. So good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. Go love God, love your neighbor, and make some music. We'll see you next week.